right, church, say amen. All right, get your Bibles out. Romans chapter number one. We, we have uh, started a new series. Tonight will be the first night. Uh, I asked y'all, I did a little survey and asked y'all, what would y'all like to study? Uh, what would be the next book that you would be interested in? And uh, we just got through with the book of Luke. And, uh, and, and the top of the list was the book of Romans. So we're going we're gonna to tackle the book of Romans. It is an unbelievable book. I promise you it is incredible. There are so many riches in the book of Romans, so many treasures in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is one book that single-handedly changed some of the greatest men of God's life in all of history. How many of y'all have ever heard of John Wesley? He's the leader of the Methodist movement, where the Methodist movement came from. Uh, uh, the book of Romans completely changed his life. Martin Luther, same thing. Uh, we're going to learn so much great stuff. Now, let me, let me tell you this. Don't be afraid of the book of Romans. I, I always was afraid to go into detail with the book of Romans because it is so detailed. It is so uh, sometimes confusing. Uh, but I, I, have, I, I will have to admit, one of, the, one of the greatest things I ever did was go through the book of Romans and study it out, outline each chapter. And we're going to do that and take our time and uh, go into detail about it and uh, have a great time studying God's Word. There, there's never been a day, there's never been a day when we have at such a dire need of knowing the will of God and knowing the Word of God like the day we're living in right now. Listen, there are so many people being tossed by to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And we need to know what we believe. Amen? Uh, everything we know about salvation you can find in the book of Romans. Amen? Uh, most everybody, I would, I would dare not to bet, but I would, I would be willing to guarantee that most people in here, you were led to the Lord through the book of Romans. If that's the truth, say amen. amen. The Romans rode through that, and, and it's, it's going to be great. And we're going to dive into that. Brother Johnny is so patiently waiting on me. Did anybody get a lesson or you didn't get a lesson? He wants to make sure you get that tonight. Anybody need a lesson? Uh, ain't that your golfing partner? He didn't even get one? What's up with that? Amen. Anybody else on this side? Raise your hand if you need a lesson. We want to make sure you get one. All right. All right. How many of y'all are excited to be saved? Amen. All right. Let's look in Romans chapter 1. In uh, verse number 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Now he goes into his letter to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that through your faith, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. How many of y'all are glad there's folks praying for you? Amen. Man, I tell you, I, I know that this world is crazy and it's getting crazier every day. And just to know somebody is talking to God on my behalf is a great blessing. Amen. Making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. 
That is, that I may be comforted together with you uh, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto uh, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among the Gentiles. Now, here, here's, here's the, the, the wrapping up of uh, the text tonight for what we're reading. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me is, amen, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17 is the key verse of the book. Verse 17 is the key verse of the book. For therein is the, what's that word? Righteousness. You're going to find that word all throughout the book of Romans. Righteousness of God. Being right with God. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And it is written, read it with me, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace, your goodness and your love. Touch us, help us, give us what we stand in need of as we study your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Runner, your lights are on, and unless you have a die hard, when it dies, it's going to be hard to crank. A black forerunner? All right, are they going to tell him down there? Because it might be somebody down there. Uh, make sure that is. Or, amen. All right. How many of y'all appreciate Brother Johnny? Amen. All right. Now, let's look in our notes. Let's get started tonight. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Amen. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the profile of the preacher. Before we go into the letter, uh, this is a letter from Paul uh, to the Romans, uh, to the believers there in Rome, and, and he is ready to see them. He's ready to go visit them. He's ready to go minister to them, to be a part of the ministry going on there in Rome. It's being talked about all over. Rome is basically the capital of the world, you, you, you might say. Uh, most people say all, all roads lead to Rome. So, so what's going on, what happens in Rome gets everywhere. And he is hearing about their faith. He is hearing about their belief and what they are doing for the cause of Christ. Some scholars believe that, that people that were saved uh, on the day of Pentecost, people that were in that big, humongous crowd that got saved were, were people who went back to Rome and took their faith with them. Uh, how many of y'all know all it takes is a good Christian? It don't take a, a, a Ph.D. degree to get a movement started. Amen? Just somebody who loves Jesus and wants to tell others about him. Well, they went back, and, and now we have, we have Christians there in Rome, and he is ready to see them. And he's sending this letter out. He's sending this letter out to them uh, to be an encouragement. Now, in the opening verses of the letter, Paul introduces himself to the believers in Rome. Some of them must have known him personally since he greets them in the final chapter, but many of them he had never met before. So in the first 17 verses, Paul seeks to link himself to the Roman readers. Now, in ancient days, the writer of the letter always opened with his name. But there's going to be a, 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 a great amount of men by the name of Paul in that day. So the writer had to go into further detail to identify himself and convince the readers that he had a right to send the letter. 
Now let's look tonight, we're going to basically look at three things tonight, several things, but three main things that we cover that Paul wanted to share with them and help them understand before he goes into detail about doctrine and righteousness and all the things that he wants to share with them. He wants to talk about who he is. He wants to talk about the writer Paul. So number one, as we're taking notes tonight, let's look at the man. Let's look at the man Paul, the writer of the book, the writer of the letter. And Paul, basically, if you want to do it, say it this way. Paul says, let me introduce myself. Let me introduce myself. Let me tell you who I am for those of you who don't know who I am. And the first thing we talk about, A, write this down, we see his credentials. We see his credentials. If somebody comes to you and says you are under arrest, you want to see where is your credentials. Where is your authority? Where is your badge? Where is uh, 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 your identification to say you have authority over me? And before Paul goes to lay out his teaching, before Paul goes to lay out his revelation about what God has given him, he wants to share with them why he has a right to say what he says, why he has a right to write what he says. So he begins to give them his credentials. And the first thing he does is not what you think. It's not what you think. He doesn't, the first thing he tells them is not, hey, I'm an apostle. Uh, the first thing he, he, he doesn't tell them, hey, I met Jesus eyeball to eyeball. Jesus commissioned me in person. Because a whole lot of people couldn't say that. He had, he had privilege like you would not believe. He didn't start there. When he began to tell who he was, the first word that he used, look at this. Paul A, what's that word? Servant. But you know what the, the Greek word means? Slave. Write that word down. Number one, when he shared his credentials, first he said, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. He humbled himself completely. The word Paul used for servant would be meaningful to the Romans because it is the word slave. There were an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, and a slave was looked on as a piece of property, not a person. In loving devotion, Paul had enslaved himself to Christ to be his servant and obey his will. You reckon we could have a bigger impact on the folks we're witnessing to if they saw our humility and not our honor first? And we shared with them that what we are, we are just slaves to Christ. A slave has no rights whatsoever. A slave has no preferences whatsoever. A slave doesn't have anything on his own. His one desire, his one preference is to serve the one who is his master. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on in detail to, to describe who his, his authority is. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be a what? What's that word? Apostle. Write that. Number two, his credentials. He says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Number two, I'm an apostle. This word means one who is sent by authority with a commission. It was applied in that day to the representatives of the emperor or the emissaries of a king. One of the requirements for an apostle was to experience uh, the experience of seeing the risen Christ in person. And Paul saw him on the Damascus Road. It was there that Christ called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, you can turn on the TV and uh, any of the Christian stations, you'll find Apostle Joe Henry. You know, that's not right. And that's not real. They can call themselves whatever they want to call them. But a real apostle was one who experienced the life of Jesus Christ and saw him was an eyeball witness of Jesus Christ. Are y'all with me right there? 
I mean, uh, they, they, a, lot of, a lot of groups and religious organizations are taking uh, words out of the Bible and applying it to themselves. But Paul says, I am a true apostle. I saw Jesus. I was an eyewitness of Jesus on the Damascus Road. And, and what I'm fixing to tell you, I have a right to say what I'm fixing to say. So he, he lets them know who he is right off the bat. But I love the fact that he showed humility with his authority. There's nothing like a humble leader. Nothing like a humble leader. You know what every great leader knows? They're just a servant of the people they're leading. And when you have humility and authority together and working together, that that is an incredible, irresistible force that goes together. So we see his credentials. We see his credentials. B, not only do we see his credentials, we see his concern. We see his concern. Look in verse number 8. Verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that through your faith or that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. All right, number one. If you're writing this down, taking notes in his concern, I want you to see his appreciation for them. His appreciation for them. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we, we, we as a church need to do a better job at appreciating each other. I think we need to appreciate the people that change the diapers in the back. I think we need to appreciate the people that hold the doors open for us. I think we need to appreciate the people that are out in the parking lot that go through the rain and hold up an umbrella and stand out in the rain with an umbrella to make sure everybody can get in dry. Are y'all with me tonight? Boy, we need to have an attitude of gratitude. And and the first thing that Paul, he he doesn't lecture them. He doesn't start out with a request of what he needs. The first thing he does is says, man, I appreciate you. I have heard of your faith. Your faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, why would that matter? The whole world, meaning the whole Roman Empire, they knew of the faith of the Christians at Rome. Travel was relatively common in that day. And all roads led to Rome. Now watch this. Here's here's an important key. It is no wonder that the testimony of the church spread abroad and this growing witness made Paul's ministry easier. Underline that. Underline that. Their witness, their faith, their testimony made Paul's job easier. How many times do we see Christians act in a certain way that's making our job harder? I love it. I love it when I see, listen, a testimony of people stepping up and helping somebody, stepping up and encouraging somebody, stepping up and going out of their way to be a blessing. And when they look back and say, well, I appreciate what y'all are doing over there. Paul says, man, I appreciate your faith. It's, it's talked about around the whole world, and it made his ministry easier when he presented the gospel. He was able to point to this testimony going out from the heart of the Roman Empire. So we see his appreciation for them in verse 8, verse 9. Verse 9, we see his prayer or his appeal for them. His appeal for them. He began to pray, verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Uh, Brother Travis, just say uh, just, a, uh, just a few seconds. Just, just say a word about what that means to your ministry. You, you're, you've been in missions forever now, and, and really uh, uh, monetary means helps a lot. But when you know that people are really praying, what does that really mean? And just, just a second and let them know. And, and knowing, knowing that when you're in the fire, 
Somebody's got you on their mind. Have you ever, have you ever, how many of y'all know, the, know the, the, the old saying, out of sight? But what does it feel like when you know you're out of their sight, but yet you're still on their mind? He said, I'm praying for you. Some of you, I, I haven't even met yet, and I'm praying for you. Some of you, I don't even know yet, but I'm praying for you. Listen, I'm praying that God will touch you without ceasing. Can y'all see his heart? Man, he, he, is just, he is just opening his chest up and showing his heart to these people and says, I'm praying for you. I know that God is going to touch you. I'm praying for you. We see his appreciation, not only uh, uh, for them. We see his appeal for them in verse number 9. But look in verse number 3, or excuse me, verse number 11. Number 3, we see his affection, his affection for them. Verse number 11, for I long to see you. I long to see you. I can't wait to see you. I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. How many of y'all, how many of y'all, I know Bob, y'all would be familiar with this. Uh, My dad, my dad, I I grew up really old-fashioned. I'm talking about short enough cornbread and beans, old-fashioned. And, and, and church and the whole deal, and, and, uh, and man, it's great. You know, I, I, I appreciate my heritage and all that. And my dad had an old-time camp meeting. I mean, it was every year in January, round, it just don't matter. It, it happened. It made, made it happen. And it was one of the really old-time camp meetings. They had, had uh, morning services and evening services. They had campgrounds. Uh, they had uh, things set up for people that come in on buses and campers and dormitories set up, and they would feed three meals a day. I'm talking about wide open, the whole deal. And, uh, and man, that was one of my, my favorite things of all year. I mean, seriously, it was, it was really my favorite. One thing, I got out of school. Say amen right there. That was a real blessing. Uh, but, but the other thing was that I got to see people I got to see people that came in from, from other cities, people that came in out of state, preachers that, that came in who had children that we would play. And, man, it was so cool to be able to see Christian friends. And, man, we longed for that and couldn't wait for that. And, man, I can't help but think about this letter, to think about Priscilla and Aquila, some of, some of Paul's dear friends there in Rome, and how he couldn't wait to see his Christian friend. How many of y'all have a good Christian friend that doesn't live in, in state? Anybody know how many of y'all, it's just a blessing when you get to see them? Isn't that great? Or when, when a visiting group or a visiting uh, pastor comes, and, and this is what Paul is saying, man, I can't wait to see you. One day, one day, ladies and gentlemen, all that separation is going to be over. One day, there's not going to be separation. One day, there's not going to be uh, uh, missing our brothers and our sisters in Christ. One day, we're all going to be together. We're going to be around the throne, and what a day that's going to be. Amen? We see his affection. He loves them. He shares with that. He says, I long to see you. And this is the pastor's heart of Paul. Paul is a great missionary, and he's revealing his heart and what he feels. Some of the saints in Rome were very dear to Paul, such as, like I said, Priscilla and Aquila, who risked their lives for him. But he also loved the believers that he did not know, and he longed to be able to share some spiritual gift with them. He was looking forward to a time of mutual blessing in the love of Christ, in the love of Christ. You know, Sometimes you'll find, uh, especially those that have gone on missions trips before, 
uh, I remember I remember going on a, a mission trip to Guadalajara, Mexico, and, and, and meeting people, meeting friends, and meeting uh, young people there, and, and not just the missionaries' kids, but 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 other than, than the national kids. And and man, you get to meet friends, and then you got to depart, and how difficult that is, and how how you miss those friends. And that's what Paul is sharing. He is sharing his true heart about what he's feeling in this letter. He says, "Man, I can't wait to see it." I can't wait to come and, and use the gifts that God has given me to be an encouragement and a blessing to you. I can't wait to see you. Number two, what was number one? We see the, we see the man. How many of y'all can kind of see into the heart of Paul now before we go into this letter? His love for him. He, he, we see his humility. Uh, uh, we see his authority. He's an apostle. Uh, uh, we see how he feels about them, and he's opening his heart to them and, and what he is trying to do. Now, number two, I want you to see his motivation. His motivation, look in verse number 14. Verse number 14. He says this, I am debtor. I am debtor. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Now, barbarians was anybody that wasn't Greeks. The Greeks, the Greeks thought that everybody else was dumb, uh, uneducated, hicks, and they were called barbarians. And that's, that's the terminology they use with them. And anybody that was there, and what Paul is trying to stress to the people is, I am debtor to everybody. doesn't matter who they are. Whether you're educated or not educated. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor. I am debtor to both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. A, write this down. What was his motivation? It was debt to people. It was debt to people. I owe. I owe. Paul felt an obligation to all men. Just as we need to feel a burden for the whole world, Paul could not be free from his debt until he had told as many people as possible the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Imagine this. Put, your, put, yourself, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. Paul says, I persecuted the church. Paul said, I, and if you'll study the terminology that, that, that describes Paul's actions toward the early church in the book of Acts, you'll find that it's as a, an animal would take and mangle its prey. That's what Paul was doing to the church. Paul was doing everything he could to destroy the early church, to destroy the church of Christ. He mocked it. He made fun of it. He did everything he could in ignorance to try to destroy the early church. And when God saved him and God changed him, it changed everything about him. What, what made Paul a debtor to folks to know who Jesus is? Because Paul remembered who he was. Paul remembered who he was. Paul remembered his situation. Now, I don't think, I don't think we need to go back in our past to the point that we get so bogged down that, that we can't realize that we've been brought out of that. But I don't think we ever need to be so far removed from our past that we forget where we were when God found us. I don't think we ever need to forget that we were in a pit and we cried unto the Lord and waited patiently on the Lord and cried unto Him. And He heard our cry and He brought me out of a horrible pit and set our feet on a rock. Are y'all with me? He came to where I was when I couldn't 
couldn't get to where he was. He looked beyond my fault and he saw my need. He looked beyond my potential or, or my problem and he saw my potential. He didn't see a punk. He saw a preacher. He didn't see a troublemaker. He saw a teacher of the gospel. And I'm so glad that he knew me and he saw what I could be. Paul said, I can't help but tell somebody. i got to tell somebody. Somebody, somebody needs to know that anybody can get saved. If God can save me, I was a murderer. I was a blasphemer. I was ignorant in what I was doing. I didn't, man, I, I did all of these horrible things. Paul even said this, I was a cheat of sinners. I was a cheat to sin. Man, there was nobody as bad as me. There was nobody as far gone as me. There was nobody that had what I had. And the reason that God saved me is to make an example out of me. And everybody can know if God can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. If there is enough grace to get me in, there's enough grace to get you in. I've got to tell somebody. He says this in this verse, Psalms 116.12. What shall I render unto the Lord? For all his benefits toward me. What's God done for you? I say again, what's God done for you? What's God done for me? If you're saved, you've got a new destination. If you're saved, you've been forgiven. If you're saved, your sins have been washed away. If you're saved... God looks at you just as if you had never sinned. When God looks down on you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't look for your good deeds because he's already seeing the the deeds of his son. What has God done for you? He's made me a home in heaven. Listen, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. God has not only saved me, God has gave me a promise that one day, when the time is right, when he has finished his job in heaven, he's going to come back and receive me to be where he is. Somebody say amen. All his benefits. I can't help but tell somebody. I can't help but share what God has done for me. I, how can we keep good news? How can we not tell somebody? Amen? I want y'all to know something. I, I don't really want to admit this, but we're in right in the middle of it, and I got 33 minutes. Say amen. I, I, I don't, I'm not superstitious whatsoever. I'm, I'm really not. I'm not superstitious whatsoever. You know, I, my uncle, you know, if you open a knife and hand it, you, no, 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 you got to shut that knife and get, you, you, uh-uh, that don't, all that stuff. I'm telling you, I can take a black cat, walk under a ladder, and throw it through a mirror. It don't bother me a bit. I'm not superstitious whatsoever. I don't care. I'm telling you, I don't believe in all that garbage. But there is, there is something to do with coon hunting. I don't care. I don't believe in no voodoo stuff. I don't believe in none of that stuff. If, if, if a virus gets in my house, my wife, she turns into a voodoo witch doctor. She starts cutting up onions and putting onions all over the floor. I'm waiting for her to start hanging chickens from the ceiling. I ain't lying. But she swears by them. She swears if you got a virus, put an onion out because an onion will suck up that virus. Am I right, baby? Just, hey. I don't believe in that stuff. Ask her. She thinks it does. I don't do it. But there is, there is, I'm, I'm getting to a point here. I know I'm running a rabbit, but I'm going to shoot him in a minute. 
There is something that goes on with coon hunting, and this is it. If you brag on your dog, it's over. It's kind of like it's kind of like children. If you brag on your kid, they gonna embarrass you. Say amen. Are y'all with me? I'm telling you, this is a fact. I'm not I'm not superstitious. I know where I'm at. I'm in the house of God, five feet from the Bible, got my hand on the Bible, but I'm telling you, this really works. If you brag on your dog, it's over. With that being said, does everybody know what I'm talking about? Monday night, hadn't got to go in, in two or three weeks because I've been wide open preaching out of town and all that kind of stuff. I finally got to take a little time, and I went coon hunting, and my dog done incredible. Treat two, two coons all by himself. I'm Jeff. I'm talking about look like a million-dollar world champion. Unbelievable. All the other dogs couldn't do nothing. They came back to the truck, and he went and treated coons just as pretty as you please. I knew better. I knew better. But I went to lunch that day. And I sat down. And I was eating. I couldn't help it. I knew better. I knew what was going to happen. I said, man, let me tell you. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I got to tell you what Bear did last night. His name's Alabama Bear Track. Say amen. I got to tell you what he does. Man, hey, and I, I went to telling the whole story. And they're sitting there listening to me. Well, guess what? I went last night. Right after. 2.30 this morning. He boo-hooed all night long. I got within five yards of him last night. And I, come on, buddy, please, 2.30, come on, please, come back. And he took off the other way. I wanted to kill him. And I knew... I knew it was going to happen, but I just had to tell somebody. Now, let me ask you a question. Is what God did for you so good? You just got to tell somebody. People make fun of me all the time. We can be in a restaurant and just start talking, and, and, and somehow every conversation hooks up somewhere and gets over to the Bible. And it don't matter where I am, I got to say, let me tell you something. Because what God did for me is so good. And I'm so grateful. And I'm so thankful. Because he didn't have to. And I didn't earn it. But I just got to tell somebody. Paul said, I'm in debt. I got to tell somebody because I really didn't deserve it. I deserved to go to hell, but God forgave me. I'm in debt. And some of y'all in here thinking, yeah, that's right. He sure was. So are you. The Bible says in Psalms 116, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me. How many of y'all have received some benefits from God? Let's go tell somebody. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. But 1 John 
Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought. You know that word is a word of obligation. It's a word of obligation. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Paul said, I'm motivated by a debt to people. I got to tell somebody. God's been so good to me, I got to tell somebody. I owe it. I, I just, I got to tell them what God has done for me. We not only see he's motivated by his debt to people, but he's motivated by his determination to preach. His determination to preach. Look in verse number 15. So as much as in me is. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. That right there tells all the teacher preachers to tighten up. Y'all know them, them teacher preachers that don't sweat? I know I'm different, and I'm, I just I was raised different, and my background and church heritage is, you know, when I grew up, if, if you wasn't, if you, wasn't uh, uh, you know, foaming at the mouth and jumping three pews by the end of the introduction, you wasn't preaching, amen? But I will have to say this, most of them wasn't saying anything either. They were just very dramatic in what they had to say. Amber, why are you laughing? You have that same heritage, don't you? Yeah. See, what it is is, is, is we make up. We make up for a lack of content by just hollering louder. Now, I'm not about that. Bob, you know what I'm talking about. Am I telling the truth there? I'm not about that. But I do want somebody who's teaching or preaching to look like he believes what he's saying. How can I expect people to believe what I'm saying if I don't look like I believe what I'm saying? Amen? He said, as much as in me is. You know what that means? Let's translate now, Alabama talk. I'm on everything I got. I'm going to pour it to it. Everything I got, I'm going after. I thought when I went to Columbus, Ohio, I said, man, this is going to be great. I'm going from three services to one. This is going to be wonderful. I'm just going to, man. When I was through, I was sweating all the way down into my socks. It don't matter. It don't matter. Are you, are you that ready? Are you, do you have that mentality when it comes... Are you ready to tell somebody? Now, I'm not saying that you've got to sweat down to your socks and preach like me. I'm not saying all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, do you have a zeal to share what you have? Brother, Brother Buchanan is a great example. Man, he, he'll come to me, and it's, it's the preacher in him. I mean, it's, it's just something that God puts in. He says, man, let me, t- let me show you what I, I saw this week. Y'all are starting to experience some of that as he teaches on Wednesday when I'm not here. Y'all are seeing, let me tell you, let me tell you, every Christian should have that. Every Christian should have that desire. Look what it says in this verse. Uh, So as much as in me is, I am, what's that word? I am. Now there's two different Greek words that are translated ready in the King James. One means prepared, like Acts 12, 13. He said, I'm ready to die at Jerusalem. In other words, I'm prepared. I'm prepared to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now the other one is one we're seeing right here in Romans 1, 15, which means eager with a ready mind. Paul was not eager to die, though he was prepared to die. But he was eager to visit Rome that he might minister to the believers there. It was not the eagerness of a sightseer, but it was the eagerness of a soul winner. Let me help you out with with that right there. Say, preacher, I don't have that. If you will spend some more time with God, you will get that. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a teacher. Listen, you can just spend time with God, and you're going to want to tell somebody. I'm telling you. 
and, and, and spending time with God is not really complicated. We, we, we make this thing real complicated. I don't, I don't have a fog in my closet that I enter the fog and, and meet with Jesus. You know, It's not that way. All the way home, all the way home. I left Ohio. I left Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, about 9.30 at night. I've been preaching all week. They'd keep me up way late at night asking questions. I'd try to help them during the day with stuff we've learned here about working with their church and all. And I was, man, I was tired. And, and 9.30 at night, uh, I, I preached as hard as I could go, got in, got a coat, got a sandwich, and hit the road, and I drove all the way home. I had, I had my iPhone, and I had my earplugs in, and I was listening to preaching all the way and singing all the way. I'd listen to different ones. And, man, I had the greatest time. I had the greatest time. I didn't get tired one time. I'm telling you, I didn't get tired till I got home. And, and it, I was spending time with God. It's, 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 it's not complicated. It's not difficult. Say, I'm not a good reader. Man, get an iPhone or get, get an iPod. Get one of those things where you can listen to it. I promise you, you don't have to be a good reader. All you have to have is a desire. Y'all with me? A desire to have that. And if you do, he will do his part. The problem is we're not drawing nigh. He said, if we'll draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to us. Let's make that effort. Let's take that step. And I promise you, we'll be eager. We'll be ready. We'll be prepared. He said, as much as in me is, I'm ready. I can't wait. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul also said this. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Of necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me. If I preach not the gospel, I'm telling you, I would die if I didn't have this outlet. If y'all wouldn't come and hear me, I would just go crazy because I got to tell somebody. I've got to, I've got to preach. I've got to listen. Sometimes I get tired and I get wore out. I'm thinking, man, I, I, I need a break and, and I could be totally physically exhausted and I can get into church and man, it'll make me want to as much as in me is. Now, everybody can't be that and do that and you're not supposed to. Because if everybody wanted to preach as bad as I did, nobody would hear anything. <laughs> because we would all have churches of one. Are y'all with me? So everybody don't have that. But let me ask you a question. Are you, ready, are, are you ready to witness to your friend at work tomorrow? Do you have an eagerness? Are you ready? Do you have a zeal to share something with them? And it don't have to be, God is my witness. It don't have to be, let me tell you, get your Bible out and turn to it. It don't have to be that. It can be, man, let me tell you what God showed me. Let me tell you what, I just, I shared, I shared a little deal. I shared a little deal with Mr. Lancey right outside the wall, just a little testimony of what happened down with my aunt down in Florida. And, uh, and I think it touched both of us, didn't it? We both had tears in our eyes. And all, all I did was just share with you something God did for us. Paul said, I got to. I'm ready. I'm motivated. Man, he is so jacked up about going to Rome and to see and to be a part and be a blessing there. We need that in the church today. The church is dying in America when are we going to wake up and realize that what we have is worth having and let's go tell somebody about it? Amen? Listen, we see his motivation. 
We see his motivation, his, his debt to people, his determination to preach. He was ready. He was a soul winner. And lastly, lastly, number three, I want you to see his message. Look what he says. This is great. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Have you ever wondered about that? I have. I, I, I got a good imagination. I wonder about a lot of stuff. Well, why would he say that? I mean, why would he use that language? And I mean, what's he got to be ashamed of? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, to really get this, now, ladies and gentlemen, you got you to understand this. You got to know who's doing the writing and who's doing the listening. In other words, who is the letter coming from and who is going to receive the letter? Because this letter was not going to a, a country village of poor people. This letter was going basically to the capital of the world, Rome. And really to get the, the, the gist of that statement and why he needed to say, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Christ. You had to understand the background of the people that he was writing to and the nature of the gospel. What do you mean? Watch this. Why would Paul even be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel as he contemplated his trip to Rome? Well, for one thing, the gospel was identified with a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. A poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified. The Romans had no special appreciation for the Jews, and crucifixion was the lowest form of execution given to a criminal. Why in the world would you put your faith in a Jew who was crucified? The same reason, the same reason that the Pharisees didn't accept Christ is why Paul was telling them he's not ashamed of Christ because the Pharisees was waiting on this knight in shining armor. They was waiting on this powerful king to come from heaven, this powerful deliverer that God was supposed to send. God was sending the Messiah. God was sending somebody to, to, to shake off the bands and the bonds of Rome off of their back. But God sent his son in a manger humbly, poor, lowly, and without any kind of fanfare. And that's why he was rejected. And he was sending early. He was sending this letter to the Roman people and letting them know, I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm not ashamed of who he is. I'm not ashamed of what the gospel is. You know what? One of the biggest hang-ups to getting saved is people stumbling over the gospel. What do you mean? It's not hard to get people saved. It's hard to get people lost. People will say, I've been in church my whole I'm just a good person. I don't care how good you are. You're lost. I don't care what your church attendance was. I don't care, I don't care how many uh, uh, good attendance pins you have from Sunday school. I don't care how many times you were baptized. Good deeds don't get it done. We have to come humbly. Everybody has to come to the same place in their life to get saved. I, I, I read a little deal. It's kind of cool. Uh, two old guys were sitting out on the porch playing checkers and some tourists come into the little town. They said, was there any famous people born in this town? And they looked up at him and said, nope, just babies. Some of y'all get that about 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, oh. We all got to come to the same place. The rich have to come the same way as the poor. 
The educated have to come just like the uneducated. Are y'all with me? One of the sweetest sayings I've ever heard in my life is the ground is level at the cross. It's level. We're all the same. And one of the things that could have been a stumbling block to the Roman people because they were so prideful, they were so elegant, they were so rich, they were so uh, stuck up, if you will, that why should they why should they put confidence in a poor Jewish carpenter that was crucified like a common criminal, like the worst of the common criminals? Rome was a proud city. The gospel came from Jerusalem and the capital city of one of the little nations that Rome had conquered. I mean, everything's going against the gospel, kind of like today. The Christians in that day were not among the elite of society. They were common people and even slaves. Rome had known many great philosophers and philosophies. Why, why pay attention to a fable about a Jew who arose from the dead? Christians looked on each other as brothers and sisters, all one in Christ, which went against the grain of Roman pride and dignity to think a little Jewish tent maker going to Rome to preach such a message is almost humorous. But Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He had confidence in his message. Somebody say amen. We see the confidence he expresses. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. How many of us can leave this building and say that same thing? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of what God's done for me. I'm not ashamed to name his name. I'm not ashamed to stand for right. I'm not ashamed to do the right thing. I'm not ashamed to name the name of Christ. I'm not ashamed to be who I am and to believe what I believe share what I know about Christ to others I'm not ashamed the problem with the church in America today and the problem with America today is there's too many shamed Christians who won't stand up for what's right amen but Paul is letting them know right off the bat I'm not ashamed of the why not why not be ashamed for it is the power of God it is the power of God. We see the confidence he expressed, but then B or two or whatever the next one is. One, three, whatever. Don't you see the content he explains? There's something about the gospel that is powerful. It is the power of God. We get the, the root word is dunamis. Greek word dunamis. Well, we get our word dynamic. Dynamo, dynamite. How many of y'all know the gospel will blow the devil out of you? And the gospel is a dynamo that's generated, and it'll just keep generating and generating. and gen It'll just keep working and keep encouraging and keep... Are y'all with me? The gospel is powerful. Only the gospel can take a drunk and sober him up. Only the gospel can take a homeless man without any hope whatsoever and without any dreams or desires whatsoever and turn his life around and put him back on the right track and help him help others. I need a witness. Amen. Only the gospel 
My dad was a hell-bound hoodlum. I'm telling you, he was mean as a devil, and everybody knew it, and it wasn't, it wasn't a, 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 a speech from somebody who was a good motivator. It wasn't AA. It wasn't, and I'm not against none of that stuff. I'm telling you, the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ went into the heart of my father. He changed his life, changed him forever, never drank another drop. He, I never seen him cuss out anybody. I never seen him be mean to anybody. What did that? The gospel. The gospel. The gospel turned Paul around. The gospel turned Peter around. The gospel changed the lives of the disciples. And they were ignorant and unlearned men, yet they turned the world upside down. Why? They were sharing the gospel. We don't need to hold forth our opinions. We don't need to tell people our theories. We don't need to go into this world and say, this is what we think. We need to go into this world and say, this this is what God says. Thus saith the Lord. The Bible says we should hold forth the word of light in a crooked and perverse nation. This world is getting crazier. It's getting crookeder. It's getting more perverse. But our opinions ain't going to change anything. But if we'll take the Bible and say, this is what God will do for you. This is what God says. I'm telling you, the power's in the gospel. Don't tell me your opinions. Don't stand up and read a verse and then go off on a tangent about what something you believe. Break down the Bible. There's power in the Word. When you start quoting the Word and you start preaching the Word, thus saith the Lord, it changes everything. I get real irritated when preachers stand up and read a verse and then take off on something that don't have nothing to do with the verse they read. And want to fill your mind with their opinions and their philosophies and all of this stuff. I don't have time for that. Your opinion means nothing. There's no authority there. But if you can say in chapter so and so and verse so and so, this is what God says about your situation, that changes everything. If you come to me with a problem and I say, this is what you can do for your problem, because in God's Word right here it says if you'll do such and such, I'm telling you, it works every time. You know why? Because the Bible can't lie. You know why he wasn't ashamed of it? Because he knew the power that it had. Are y'all with me? I don't want to use too many illustrations because I'm almost out of time, but I got a one that would fit right there. Say amen. Power is the one thing that Rome boasted of the most. Greece might have its philosophy, but Rome had its power. The fear of Rome hovered over the empire like a cloud. Were they not the conquerors? Were not the Roman legions stationed all over the known world? With all her military power, Rome was still a weak nation. The philosopher Seneca followed the, or called the city of Rome a cesspool of iniquity, and the writer Juvenal called it a filthy sewer into which the dregs of the empire flood. No wonder Paul was not ashamed. He was taking to sinful Rome the one message that had the power to change men's lives. He had seen the gospel work in other wicked cities such as Corinth and Ephesus, and he was confident that it would work in Rome. It had transformed his own life, and he knew it could transform the lives of others. I, 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 I think it was in Athens. I've been preaching so much lately the last couple of weeks. I, can't, I, I believe it was in Athens. I was preaching on, on the four guys that brought the man to Jesus and tore out the roof. Why were they so 
confident to the point that they would not be denied that they went on top of a man's roof and tore his roof out. Because the Bible says in the first part of that chapter, Mark 2, when it was noised abroad that again he was in Capernaum. In other words, he'd done been there before. So I had to go read and, done, and, and find out what he did when he was there before. If you go read Mark chapter 1, he healed everybody. And you know why these guys wouldn't stop at anything? Because I believe they'd done seen what he'd done did. And if he done did it one time, he done did it again. Say amen. Where's your confidence? Paul knew if he could do it for me. Bless God, I can't wait. And, and, and most people, it's kind of like this. One, one, one salesman went to Africa and found, found a, a, a country over there, a shoe salesman. Shoe salesman went over there. And came back saying, ain't no sense in going over there. Them people don't wear shoes. Sent another shoe salesman over there. He called back and said, send every shoe you have. They ain't nobody over here got shoes. Where's your confidence when you leave here? Do you see problems too big for God? Let's give up on America. Let's give up on our community. It's just too far. It's just, somebody said that to me today. It's gone, preacher, it's gone. Listen, if I believed that, I wouldn't be here tonight. God can. If he did it for me, he did it for you. If he did it for Paul, he can do it for them. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God. We see not only that, lastly, we see the confidence he expressed, the content he explains, just the power of God. But then the conclusion he expects. It's the power of God unto salvation. Paul wasn't preaching without an end in mind. When Paul preached, he expected people to get saved. That word salvation carries tremendous meaning in Paul's day. Its basic meaning is deliverance. And it was applied to personal national deliverance. The emperor was looked on as a savior and as a physician who healed you of an illness. The gospel delivers sinners from the penalty and the power of sin. Salvation is a major, major theme in this letter. Salvation is the great need of the human race. If men and women are to be saved, it must be through faith in Jesus Christ as proclaimed in the gospel. Listen. The problems that we're facing today, that we're praying about today, that we're worrying about today, it's not going to be solved through the government. It's not going to be solved through the legislature. It's not going to be solved through the, through the Congress or the White House. Every, pop, every, every problem that we face this week is not anything that salvation won't fix. That salvation won't change. Because I found out this. Most people, most people, they don't, they don't need more psychiatric care some of them need to meet Jesus because salvation means deliverance means deliverance when I got saved everything changed if any man be in Christ he's a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new 
Paul looked at Rome, and Rome was a bad place, by the way. It was bad. A cesspool. But you know what he said? In his mind, the darker it is, the brighter the light. The brighter the light. Let's stand out. This, this preacher, the profile of this preacher, Paul, we can be like him. One of the coolest verses in all the Bible. May not be to you, but it is to me. Because when I first went to Bible college, I thought God had special stuff for just special people. I really did, man. I, I saw guys in school, and they could outline the Bible like you wouldn't believe. I'm serious. I mean, and they read their Bible on purpose. They don't get it, Carla. They don't... Uh, Are you telling me you didn't always read your Bible like you spoke? I, I wish I did. I was, I, I would get in trouble in Bible college. Mr. Carter, we need you to settle down back there. You know, I, how do you get called down in Bible college? I mean, really, how does that happen? And I'm like, and these guys are just, it's like they, I'm never going to be able to live up to that. I just want to get through. In my mind, in my mind, I was just going to get through with college, go back down to my dad's, be his associate, and, and live there the rest of my life and do whatever. I, this was for special people. I looked at Victory, and I, I seen all the, I mean, I thought I'd gone in the Houston Astrodome when I went to that church. I'm telling you, because I come from a very small church background, and I thought, whoa, man, this is just coolest verse in the Bible talks about a prophet in the Old Testament the Bible talks about a prophet named Elijah who called fire down from heaven now I don't know how, how good a Christian you think you are but I bet you ain't never called fire down from heaven now when you can call fire down from heaven you bad say amen but you know what the Bible says? In the, I believe it's in the book of James. He was a man of like passions as we are. You know what that verse means? He's just like you. My grandma would say it this way. He puts his britches on just like you do. That's how my, my, my grandmother would translate that verse. He ain't no better, no worse. He's nobody special. There are some people that make a, 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 a bigger effort Everybody can have the same presence of God in their life and the same power of God in their life. We've got to be willing to make an effort. And the reason I'm saying all this, because we, we've just kind of interviewed and, and dissected and outlined Paul before we go into this book. But some of us, I don't want you to look back and say, well, that was Paul. That was Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the least, this is what he said, I'm the least of the saints. Paul was saying, I wouldn't even put myself up to your level. I'm the least of the saints. Everybody can leave here and have the power that Paul had on his life. You can have it too. And God knows we all need it. And our community needs us to have it. Amen? Let's do this, let's pray. I got 17 seconds.
talk to Jesus. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed.